The biggest thing that's top of mind for me is I think in B2B, we all, and I say we collectively, uh, just like all in B2B, still I think underestimate the value of content in today's world. And that might sound like a cliched answer, like I'm sure you hear a lot of things like that, but I just don't think we respect the power of content done right. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. Hey leaders, welcome back to another episode of Leaders of B2B. I'm Ledge, really excited to welcome Blake Strozik to this episode. Blake, as you know, I like to let my guests give their favorite intro of themselves. So please say hello for the uh, audience who doesn't know you yet and let them know a little bit about what you do. Yeah, sure thing, Ledge. Appreciate that. Hey, everybody. My name is Blake Strozik. I run a B2B demand gen and paid media consultancy. So it's a company called Bull Media. It's me, another full-time employee, and a couple of contractors. But we work with about between 8 and 12 B2B SaaS and tech companies to help them stand up their paid media program. So I spent the past four years working in B2B, going on my fifth year there, started in sales, found my way over into demand gens, get to work with a lot of different companies, see a lot of different things at various stages. And really what we're focused on is helping companies build paid media programs that drive pipeline and growth. And so have learned a lot along the way and uh, happy to share those learnings here. Yeah, absolutely. So I didn't catch that part about you were in sales and I love that. I don't know if I will ever graduate to demand gen, but I do know that I have a lot of feedback for the demand gen folks. So what was that evolution? Because, wow, like talk about it's almost like crossing into enemy territory. You started working for marketing. Yeah, no. So my very first role in B2B is I was actually like just a SaaS AE. So I was an account executive, was a hunter. So I had to wow. go out and prospect, cold call, run that whole full cycle sales process with sales engineers, do all that good stuff. Didn't do it for very long, was only in sales for about a year before I went over either to the good guys or bad guys, depending on how you feel marketing and sales. And no, but it's been really impactful though, because I think the biggest thing like when you work in sales is like, you'll know, it's like when you have to carry a bag and carry a quota and you have to actually like, call the leads that marketing is sending you, it changes your perspective when you're on the other side, sending leads over to sales. Yeah. And like, it changes your perspective on like enablements, so, like making sure you have the right processes, you have the right tools and you have the right decks, business cases, like it changes your perspective on a lot of things. So I think that's been like really helpful for me actually starting in sales. It's like you did an internship, like we're all going to love you now in sales because it's like somebody who actually did the tour of duty. I hate to say it, but I have worked with a lot of, of marketing departments that are throwing all kinds of, here's how you need to pitch our product. And here's the 87 page deck in nine point font describing our approach. And you're just like, wow, like I'm going to talk for an hour and this guy's going to hang up on me if I follow this. And there's this constant push and pull there. And I'm being, obviously I'm being like provocative on purpose. I love working with marketing and I'm a big fan of the fully integrated, I'll call it the revenue function now. Let's just stop this business of as if there's some kind of line between the two, right? Like it's just this necessary flow of information that's really important. And I'd love if you would break down, I hear a lot as people mangling, maybe even myself, performance marketing, lead gen and demand gen. And I think a lot of those things get used kind of like interchangeably, but that's wrong. What does that look like in your world to help everybody set the baseline of vocabulary? 
Yeah, I think that's a really great place to start because it is one of those things, especially as we were you know talking before we hopped on, like B2B is just so nuanced and words mean different things to different people, but like they matter because it's like what you consider a lead or an opportunity varies from every organization. So how I see it is in my eyes, lead generation is direct response. If I'm looking from the marketing perspective, I'm putting out an ad and expecting a direct response and I'm going to measure that versus dollars in, dollars out saying that I put in X amount. So I put in $10,000. I had 100 people, or I'll keep a round number so I can do the math easier. I had 10 people contact me. So I got $1,000 cost per lead. That's dollars and dollars out lead generation. And like the flip side, demand generation, you still obviously have to know what's our return on our demand generation, but it's more focused around education. And so demand generation is a mix of educating your market at scale so that when they're not in an active buying cycle, you are top of mind and building brand affinity and building understanding so that when that company does become or that person at a company becomes in market and in a buying cycle, you're at the top of the list. So you might not look for a direct response now, but six months down the line when their budget renewal is coming up for their tool, because I work in SaaS, so I think in, in those terms, you're coming up in that, right? Or if you're looking for another vendor provider, hey, they've been consuming our content for six to 12 months. Now they're going to think of us when we need a podcast production agency. That's how I delineate direct response mm. equals lead gen or lead gen equals direct response and demand gen is much more like education and affinity. And then what's performance? So performance, I think definitely goes more toward like the lead generation is how I would bucket okay. it. So like performance is looking like dollars in, dollars out. How do you look at like scale and just like very much that I put in this and got out this and then it scales at this pace is how I would think about it. So what used to be inbound content marketing is now evolved to demand gen because it actually has a wrapping purpose around it. We're not just throwing up the old form and get an email address and download your ebook kind of thing. And although I guess there's still a place for stuff like that, like the lead magnet type of, of approach from an education standpoint, but not just jamming it down the throat of going, yay, somebody put their hand up and has an email address. Thus, they are imminently qualified to buy our thing right now. <laughs> exactly. Going back to that sales background, it's like saying, okay, if I put a, out a lead magnet and somebody downloads it, not equating that to, hey, that means they came through our website and requested a demo or want to talk to sure. us, right? Like, I think a lot of marketing teams in the past have treated those hand raisers as such and like given them over to say like, hey, we had a thousand people download this. You need to call them because they're ready to buy or like they're ready to talk to when in reality, it's like they just wanted that piece of content. And so like, that's where you see some of that misalignment is when sales actually has to talk to them. And they're like, no, I just want a piece of content. We're in a vendor contract. I'm not interested in talking or something like that. Right. And being in that sales seat and having to make those outreaches, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is going to be horrible. Like, and, and like, I'm actually repelling this human because I'm so annoying. And I'm so glad that things have moved away from that. And I don't know that it moved away because everybody got smarter. It moved away because everybody started doing it and the buyers just started being like, I'm never going to download your content because I know this is just a lead gem scam. And now you're going to blow up my phone. I think part of it too, I mean, that, I guess to add to that is part of a tool is just like the availability of tools now, right? Mm -hmm. If we go back 10, 15 years, you didn't necessarily have as good as a list. Yeah, you go through like associations or different things, depending on which market niche you're in. But you just didn't have the availability of like data to go after people's names. Now you're one Google search away from 10 different data providers, your Zoom infos, your Apollos, just name your data provider. And you can just reach out to those people directly. Like you don't have to wait for them to download something. You can just do the outreach from there. So 
I think that's also been a big shift too, just the availability of data. I love that you're talking about that. It's like this, everybody's seen the infographic of the MarTech landscape, which is like this completely overwhelming legal size piece of paper or PDF that has like 10,000 logos on it. And you're just like, dude, how do I ever buy any of this? I just want to go hide under my desk. But we do want full integration and information. And in the few instances that I've seen this done well as a salesperson, wow, like I know what pages they went to. I know what podcasts they listen to. Just like I can actually build a relationship based on that data constellation. And I think that's the thing that like the promise of it. And yet seeing that implemented well once or twice just sheds light on the fact that it's usually not implemented. So I think it's a lot of times when it's not implemented, it's because a lot of it's either like an expertise challenge. So it's, you know, you're a strapped company, you don't have a lot of resources, so you just kind of make the best with it. Or I think a lot of times is like how it's used too. like in that case, you talked about is you're using that on the sales side to build like a thoughtful conversation and have like context. And I think a lot of times people will just think about like, how do I do this as quickly as possible to hit my short term number? So it becomes a spray and pray game when you really have to have that quality, not just the quantity. Do you think that marketing and sales should be like have the same revenue metrics? So like the same evaluations, like how do you think about it from a, I don't want to say comp, but like a incentive system that kind of drives that whole moving system in the right direction for the company? I definitely think, yeah, sales and marketing should 100% be aligned In terms of what that looks like for every company, again, going back to that nuance conversation, it's different. But I would say to unpack it a little bit, it really depends on the go-to-market motion and the market you're selling to. So for example, if you're in a market that's large total addressable market, high velocity sales, more dealing with SMB, so lower ticket prices, you're going to lean more on marketing because marketing has to do that wider outreach. And then sales is doing more of that one or two call closes, right? So it's not so much just like long sales process. But on the flip side, if you're selling an enterprise sales, so whether that's services or tech or whatever it is, those are long sales cycles and those are led by the sales rep. And so marketing is much more playing a support function in there where you're saying like, do we have all the sales collateral we need? Are we setting up the right meetings at the right events? Are we aligned on our account-based motion? So I think to answer your question directly, Ledge, yeah, definitely they should be aligned. But what that looks like changes with what company you're at based on who owns like what KPIs. But everybody should be aligned on here's who we're selling to. Here's our revenue targets. How do we get there together? Not how does marketing meet their target, but sales misses are fine. And so I'm guessing when you work with clients, you step in sometimes to places that are doing this completely wrong or they wouldn't have called out and go, hey, please help us. Bull Media. So... What's that transformation look like? Because that's like an overwhelming amount of work. I almost think it's a lot of head in the sand, like ostrich of just, this looks so expensive and so hard and it's breaking everybody's brain. And I think you probably come in in a strategic consulting type of handholding way. Because I I know I do when we're rebuilding sales systems. It's just, Mm. y'all, I know you meant well. And the only thing you're good at is operations and delivering to clients. So (laughs) let us help you do this. And all the assumptions you made are well-reasoned and completely wrong. (laughs) So I'm always interested in that, like that, I don't know, that just approach of fixing 
things. It's almost like a turnaround case in many cases because they don't call an expert if they're doing it. Oh, 100%. I mean, that's what prior I had worked at an agency before I went out on my own. And that's what me and my partner, we work on client accounts with. That's what we always talk about. Like the clients are coming to us for a reason because they like need our help. Everyone's always going to have a different situation. So kind of how we lead those transformations, right? So typically what we work with is we work with earlier stage companies, but we really work with companies as small as 3 million ARR to 50 million ARR, and they're looking to scale a paid program. So it's all across the board. But how we start is we align on like the fundamentals, right? So that's like the step that I think a lot of companies miss. A lot of teams want to jump right into the tactics, right? They might see something online, might hear something from someone at an event, see something in a Slack group they're in saying like, hey, we tried this thing and it worked really well. When in reality, like you have to start with really firm fundamentals. So knowing things like who's our target customer, like we talked about sales and marketing, that might be two different answers. And actually, if you ask your customer success or service team, they might have a third different answer. So it's who's our target customer? Why do we win there? What are our competitive differentiators? And just like understanding like the rest of the go-to-market motion, what's our pricing, packaging, what's our sales process. It's like aligning on all of that. And then when we build like the marketing side, the paid side, really what we look at is like, okay, let's understand first off, what are you willing to pay to acquire a customer? Because I'm sure like in building sales processes, you have to have that math work. So you have to decide, okay, do we need a more junior SDR function and a full cycle salesperson? Do we need just a full cycle salesperson? Like you have to build that in. Same thing on the paid side. You have to understand, okay, what are we willing to spend to acquire a customer? And then what channels make the most sense to acquire those customers? Are a lot of people searching for what we're looking for? Let's start something in a Google search. Is our audience enterprise and on LinkedIn? Let's start with LinkedIn. And so it's really just like figuring out those fundamentals, figuring out what channels are going to make sense based off that audience we're going after. And then it's just creating a couple different hypotheses based off our experiences and what we learn from clients and going out and testing and gathering data and not just stopping at like looking at cost per lead and saying, hey, we got people to raise our hands, but look for people that are qualified. So you're not sending junk leads over to sales, but qualified people that actually turn into opportunities so you can actually have a program that's contributing to the bottom line. So I think it's really just fundamentals all across the board. That's kind of like the three splits there. Nobody wants to do the work for fundamentals. They just want it to work right away. Everyone just wants to say, hey, we're going to offer a $100 gift card, have a thousand demos come in, (laughs) and that's all the marketing we need to do. That's really what- We're so awesome that it's the old hangout a shingle and people will just be banging the door down. I tried that in my early entrepreneurial career, and it turns out nobody calls. It's so weird. But that's how I first discovered that marketing was a thing because I wasn't doing it. And go to the- The fundamental one thing that jumped out at me is like looking at your work out on the internet is like just ICP, man. It's so easy to talk about this and it's not easy. I still struggle with finding any good tool or methodology where I can just like really say that's our customer. And I can speak to that person in a way through my copy or my approach that could like that they go, that's me. That's the first way I think about it, almost like in a you first. This is exactly the thing you're feeling. This is the place you want to go. Aspiration that doesn't sound cheeseball. But before all that, you got to know who they are. And it's just so freaking hard. You can't do this, I don't know, psychographic, firmographic, behavioral. And maybe they want to drive a Porsche when they grow up or later. It's such ridiculous crap. What is the right way to do that that works? So I found one of the best ways to do this. So there's, like you said, there's multiple different frameworks on how to figure out your ICP. But I think the best thing is like saying, okay, what's our total addressable market? So it's like a couple different steps for me. 
what's our total addressable market? So who's every account we could sell to? Okay, we established that. Say that's 10,000 accounts. And I think that's a great thing about B2B too. Unless you're selling like just to like SMBs where you're like QuickBooks online, you can sell to any small business. Right. Like most B2B companies have very firm criteria on who they can sell to and who they can't. So like you can really get it at that account level and then start to whittle down from there and start there. Who could actually implement this at all? Like whether or not right. they want to or ever will. So that's your TAM. Okay. And then from that, how do you whittle away? That's the block of marble. We're trying to get to the David. What are those steps of whittling away? That I think it's a good way to put it. You got your block of marble, your TAM, and then like to whittle it down to get to your a statue underneath. There's a couple different ways we look at that. So one, primarily we lean on our clients to be the expert in their business and understand like who they sell to and who they are the best fit for. So a couple of different ways we look at that that we'll ask about, who are your best clients today? Do you have a large amount of them or do you only have one or two and you're looking to get more of them? Is it like a real ICP or is it more aspirational ICP? <laughs> so who are your best clients today? What are those common characteristics? Is it smaller companies, mid-market, larger? So some of that firmographic data, are there certain verticals? So you might work really well with healthcare companies or you might work really well in manufacturing. So is it vertical? Is it company size? Is it both? And then at that account level, you might also look at like revenue range or company stage. Maybe you can only sell to the Fortune 1000. So there's a lot of different ways to slice it, but you look at your total market and then you look at your own customer base and then you say, okay, here's the common characteristics of what are good customers for us. And then you look out back out at that total market, how many companies match this criteria, right? So if it's firmographic, you can use data providers to get a sense of what that is, but you're going to need to identify that because you need it just as much on the marketing side as you do sales right. because the sales team, you have to have a context to reach out to. And the only way you get those is if you name the accounts. I think it's an exercise of looking at your own. This is what like we'll rely on. Look at your own customer base for clients. See what those common characteristics are. And then look out at your TAM and look at data providers and get that list. And then you manually verify it. So you don't just like blindly pull a list online from somewhere. You have to actually go hand by, unless it's tens of thousands of accounts, go line by line and say, are these a good fit? Are these not? And start from there. And at some point, an account becomes a collection of humans you need to reach out to, which I think is sometimes always the piece that people get tired and don't do that level of work. Because <laughs> I'm like, I think you'll appreciate this having been in the sales seat, but at some point like that average ICP that we need to market to, and I understand why, becomes a one-to-one -one conversation with a human. And I think all that stuff falls apart at that level where we develop that kind of relationship. My go-to stuff as a sales, everybody has their sort of list, right? But I'm going to at least connect on where are you geographically? When I finally talk to someone, my favorite thing is when it's another bald guy, that seems to go great. We can talk about, hey, how do you <laughs> shave your dome? But <laughs> uh, that doesn't always work. Yeah. I guess if this was easy, everybody would do it. But so you get that ICP. Is it just like a do the best you can to at least limit the attack surface? I think it's getting close. I don't think you're ever like, it's never complete. Yeah. You might get it really dialed in, but you're always iterating. Like to your point, you get to the accounts that you're like, hey, we're a good fit for. And then you have to understand like, what are those personas within the accounts that we're actually a good fit for? Because everybody wants to think like immediately C-suite. And if you're a really small company, maybe that's the case. If you're selling into marketing, you're probably not selling to the CMO. 
you might get their attention, but you're probably selling to a director of something in a larger company, right? So it's understanding, yeah, not just the accounts, but those actual like idea, those like people you're talking to, those contacts, what are their job titles or responsibilities? And then from the marketing side, making sure that you're getting in front of those people, right? Because you might be going after a large company if you're selling to the developers, but you're marketing to the marketers, then it doesn't matter that you're just going to the company because it doesn't help the salesperson at all. And it doesn't help you from a marketing perspective at all either. But if you're selling to developers, they don't care at all and they'll never listen. That, that's a separate conversation. That's a very <laughs> it's tough CFO, legal, developers. Yeah, God bless you. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you get, okay, so we let's say we fundamentally at least understand who we're trying to sell to. Then talk to me then about where paid media goes, right? Because I think that, the number of channels for paid has meaningfully exploded over the last 15 years also. And there's all kinds of things you can pay for that wouldn't qualify as paid media. And from a marketing budget perspective, like it's just terrifying, right? Because you got, I don't know, let's say you go with Gabriel Weinberg, right? You got 17 different channels. It's probably now 34 since he wrote that book. But what the hell do you do to narrow that down? Two things. The first thing is understanding where your buyers spend time. So like to that developer's point, that's a super challenging market to market to. So that's a whole separate conversation. I did this. That's why I know. (laughs) We are doing it right now for a client and it is challenging. But to that point, it's like understanding like where do our buyers spend time and what does their buyer journey look like? Which sounds like really generic advice, but it's honestly, if most teams went through that, they would realize that some channels that people will say, hey, you should do, wouldn't be a good fit for them. Like developers, they're probably more a good fit for something like Reddit. They're on like Twitter. They're on different places. They're not on the like tried and true, I say tried and true, but like B2B channels like Google search and LinkedIn, right? Like they're in different places and understanding your buyer where they're at. And then on like the flip side, the two channels will typically start with them B2B as we see the most success with Google search as long as it's an established category. So when I say that, like people know what they're searching for. So we work with a lot of startups where it's a disruptive technology or platform that people haven't heard of before and haven't thought about. So they don't know to search it, right? So Google search may or may not be a good option. It it depends if it's established or not. Like when you're inventing a concept or a word and you're just like, we're going to dominate this space for, I don't know, one client's like human experience, HX, we're going to own that. That's awesome, but nobody's going to search for that because it doesn't exist. And that's super cool. Wow. Like the the pressure of establishing a category is just like very difficult. Oh, it's it's crazy, especially from a marketing side. So yeah, so Google search is like if there's existing search volume, great. And then LinkedIn is like the, the biggest channel for B2B that we find for most clients. So again, it depends on who you're selling to. So that might be a really good fit if you're selling to like more like mid-market enterprise type deals and your audience spends time on LinkedIn. Like there are certain personas. LinkedIn has so many members. I don't remember what, however many hundreds of millions mm-hmm. it is. But you can bank that most marketers, HR, sales, recruiting, and leadership, those are a lot that spend time on LinkedIn. There's other functions that yes, absolutely do finance different ones. But those are like some ones that are really strong for LinkedIn. And so like that might be a case where you start there. So Google search and LinkedIn are typically where we'll start for clients just because those are the two best channels we typically see for LinkedIn. But it all starts, where is your market at? Which again, goes back to the nuance of B2B. You have to understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's probably pretty easy to go. I have no idea where these people hang out. Is there like, a, I guess you just have this, have to guess based on 
that ICP from your perspective, I, I would say like that institutional knowledge or category knowledge that you have, that alone is worth paying for. Cause I don't know, I want to reach firms that are one to 5 million. They have 10 headcount. I need to talk to the director of whatever sales, you know, it's just like, I have no idea where they hang out. I work too much to consume media. I'm my persona and I don't know what I would do because I am also like the outlier and don't adhere to anything. So don't listen to my opinion because I don't want to consume any media. I just want to go stare at the corner. The <laughs> it's so weird, right? There's just so much input and, and that filter must be a huge challenge. Yeah. But for that, when we're looking at getting like estimates where they spend time, there's really three things we look at. So the first is really recommend to like clients and try to do this when I was in-house because I, so I previously worked agency side before I went out on my own and now working external. My previous company, I was at a series D pre IPO startup. So worked in that B2B supply chain space and then had worked in an agency. And then before that, I was like the only marketing person at a small B2B tech company. And we were selling to a really niche audience there. But basically one thing that I looked to own when I was in-house was like having a customer feedback loop, Mm -hmm. which is very easy general advice to give, incredibly actually complicated to execute on. But basically having a a cadence, so whether it's over video calls, a phone call, over at events, having a cadence where you're directly talking to the people you're selling to is so critical for every go-to-market team, whether you're sales, marketing, customer success, whatever. It's crucial for the organization because you need to have that pulse, like where do they spend time or get information and do that? So I think the market research is one, but then on the flip side, more tactically, like what we do on our side is on Google search, we can see what's keyword volume. So if we can understand what's your ICP searching for, we can see how many searches there are per month and get a sense of like scale there. And then like on LinkedIn, for example, really great targeting on there. So to your example, where it's like, hey, we want companies in this industry at this size, or even if you give us a target account, let's say, hey, of these 1000 accounts, we want the directors of marketing, we can tell you how many of them are on LinkedIn. And then when we start running ads and gathering data, we can tell you how many of them are active based off how many our ads are reaching. So there's ways to do it externally, but the number one way is definitely that primary customer research to have. Yeah, when we go into, I know, again, from the sales side, go into a company and the first thing I want to do is, look, give me a spreadsheet of all your customers and I want you just to rank them red, yellow, green. And, And green is, I wish I could clone them and get me more. And then I want you to set up calls with those people and I'm going to meet them. And I'm just like, why the hell do you keep paying this bill? Because there are other solutions and like what matters to you and then start to gather that back into content prompts where I go, okay, this stuff seems to make a difference. Hello, marketing friends. I need content at the top of the funnel or at the beginning of the buyer journey, if you like your things horizontal. And then I can say like, this is what matters. And it has nothing to do with what you think it did before. And let's start telling that story. And then if somebody gets to a call with me, I need very granular collections of uh, sales enablement materials. I want to be able to demonstrate as if I'm off the cuff here. Oh, let me just grab this thing. Cause that thing you just asked, I have a neat slide about that, but I'm intentionally not saying here's my whole deck. I want to make it look like right out of my bookmark bar on the call live. I opened a thing and went to slide six and forget about all this other crap. Cause I'm talking to you. 
And I said, well, I have this orchestrated sales process that depends very much on that personalized touch that is scripted in the sense that I have all the things I could ever want and please make them look really nice and pretty and smart. And that is my interaction with designers and information folks and marketing. It just let's make that happen together. Well, and then that's to that point, yeah, definitely collaborative. And that's one of the first areas that we'll look at too, to see if there's any optimizations. We don't do any like formal, anything on the sales side. It's not our expertise, but one thing that we will do, right, is we believe in being deeply integrated with the teams we partner with. So we go into the CRM with them. Yeah. A lot of our clients, for example, use HubSpot, which a lot of the listeners I'm sure are familiar with and use at their own companies. So we go in there with them and we, we build the report to say, hey, you had 10 people come in for a demo this month and only one person became an opportunity. What happened with those other nine? And look at those paces. And sometimes they'll talk with the sales team member and be like, I just didn't have this piece of collateral. We wasn't able to build a business case or stuff like that. It really is collaborative, yeah. right? I think a thing that companies always think about is how do we add more to the top? When in reality, there's a lot of things they can do farther down the funnel from that sales call to win more of those calls. So whether that's having the right enablement materials, building the business case, having a smooth sales process, having a quick sales process, if they want, so you can match the urgency of the customer, those things get overlooked all the time, but you can hit the same goal with the same amount from the top. If you get more efficient at the bottom, just as much as you can, if you feel more at the top, like they can both work. And I mean, I know from my perspective, I would come in and go, listen, we want to rock the call to close ratio. And that doesn't just mean get me more calls. That means get me good calls because we can reduce that denominator and that ratio goes up. And as a result of that, you're also going to see your average selling price or your ticket price go up because now I can start to know that People are pre-educated coming into the call and there's all kinds of ways to do that. But if they show up, they have not self-selected out. And I think that's really important from that perspective. Are we educating people out in the ether that the right ones put their hand up and want to continue to be educated? Because our world starts when there's a name and an email that actually care, not just that there was a name in an email that randomly bumped into our fence. Right, like they landed on your site or saw some content somewhere and were like, hey, that resonates with me or hey, I'm facing that problem or hey, that's important to me. So they're like, yeah, I need help yeah. getting that solved. Fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about, okay, you did talk about your journey up. You got sales, you got agency, you got direct. I worked in the trenches. Now we can meaningfully represent multiple companies. Can you talk about lessons learned along that path that have stuck with you or even the negative lessons of going, I'm never going to do that again. Cause I think those are also very important. <laughs> no, that's a great question. So I think we've touched on some of them and then I have some others I can share, but the biggest things that are top of mind. So nailing the fundamentals. So not using those as an excuse, like you'll never be perfect, right? But like you have to have an opinion on your positioning. You have to have strong messaging. You have to have a identified market and account list and personas. Like those are things you have to have. And if you don't have those, don't worry about getting other programs in place. Start there. So I think that's a big thing because we work with startups a lot who just want to go and you need to have those fundamentals in place. So I think that those are some big things. Some other things that we haven't really talked about that I would mention here, it always takes longer than you think it's going to take, but it's worth it to build a sustainable program. Because I'm sure as you guys on the sales side will come into, it's like, it's going to take you time to ramp. You have to figure out who are we going after? 
what are we going to say that's going to resonate and how do we like work that process? It's the same way when it comes to the paid side of marketing. We have to understand what are the channels that are going to work? Are they going to work in terms of are we going to be able to get people in? And then when we get people in, is it at the right cost and at the right scale to be a scalable program? For example, if you only have, you know, 100 people searching for what you do a month, you want to get in front of all those 100 people, which is great. But if you have a growth goals where in reality, you need 10,000 people searching for you per month, then like a Google ads program might not be the most skill you need, right? It's not going to give you the skill you need. It always takes longer than you think it is or constantly experimenting. There's never a playbook that translates from company to company because B2B is so nuanced and your messaging, all that stuff is so nuanced. You just have to keep those fundamentals in place, understand how the channels work. So like people are searching for this. So these people are on LinkedIn then you have to develop your own playbook for each company. So I think that's the thing. We work at scale across 8 to 12 companies at a time right now. And we see that consistently where it's like the only consistent thing is the inconsistency. Where it's like every company really does have their kind of like unique way. Like obviously there's nuance in B2B to understand like selling to a business to business and B2C. But if you're selling a $2,000 per year tool to nonprofits very different selling motion in both how you market it and sell it in a sales process than if you're selling an $80,000 tool to a higher education, like a university, because they have a procurement department and it's multi-threaded. And so those would be, I guess, like the big learning. So it's like fundamentals. But then it's also, it's going to take more time than you need. And it's just one continuous iterative experiment is is what I would say. The funny thing is, and I think all of it's like that, is what's going to take longer than you think will think longer. (laughs) But we never nail it. Don't just think this quarter. Whatever your best estimate is, double it and triple it. And you're just like, what the hell, man? (laughs) You know, like, what is it? The hard thing about hard things, right? (laughs) Well, and it's like, you're going to need to grow it. Like whether it's outbound sales or paid marketing, like you're going to need to figure it out at some point. So every quarter you spend not figuring it out is another down the line that you won't have that up and running. So it's like you can either pay it now or you can pay for it later. It just depends how you want to approach with, it. With substantial interest, yeah, later, because that cost of equity is very, very high. I mean, that had to come from somewhere. And if you weren't financing that from revenue, you're going to be very disappointed. <laughs> no, you didn't. Exactly. So I think that makes a ton of sense. Blake, before we run out of time, I like to ask everybody, okay, audience of leaders of B2B, what has to be on their radar in the next two years that maybe you're like, keenly aware of and studying from the space that maybe everybody else isn't there yet because of your unique perspective? I think the biggest thing that's top of mind for me is I think in B2B, we all, and I say we collectively, uh, just like all in B2B, still, I think, underestimate the value of content in today's world. And that might sound like a cliched answer, like I'm sure you hear a lot of things like that. But I just don't think we respect the power of content done right for like how it builds the brand of your company. Because there's two ways to generate referrals that I see for companies. One is to provide an outstanding experience. So a great product experience, great marketing or a great sales experience and a great customer service experience. Great product experience. That's like typically how companies get word of mouth. But there's like a second one that's been gaining in momentum, at least in the circles that I run, where companies are getting referred to or like people are referring to companies that they've never worked with before. And they've been referring to them because they've gotten value from their content. And so content can mean a lot of things. It can mean going to an event. It can mean a podcast like this. It could mean content on social media. Like 
whatever it is, people are referring to brands or building affinity to them because of the content they create. And so while that's not necessarily new, I think the velocity at which it's like becoming more important is because just the more and more time that we all spend on social, especially in the B2B world, the more that content matters. And so that's what I would be looking at is like how in the next 24 months, if I'm a marketing leader, yes, there's a bunch of things I need to do to hit my short-term goals. We talked about some of them. But my biggest thing I'd be looking at is like, how do I position our brand as a really strong brand that puts out good content that builds affinity so that people that don't work with us refer people to us because we provide so much value. And so that's really what I'd be looking at over the next 20 Wow. Months. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to need to noodle around on that. Everybody needs to be aware of the thing I do so that they can tell their friends that they heard of me, but they actually haven't worked with me. But my content is so good that they believe it anyway. Yeah. And when it goes back to that understanding you talked about, like in the sales process, you have to know, yeah. going back to the top customers, knowing what's important to them and having content for that. I think so many companies do not have that feedback loop and that's what prevents them from doing it. Yeah, that's fantastic, man. Blake, if anybody's resonating out there, you know, I want to make sure that they can reach you. What channels are the best ones for you? If, if somebody's hearing this, be like, I got to talk to this guy. Yes, yeah, best place to reach me is uh, Blake Strozik on LinkedIn. You'll see me with my little yellow background in the back. Best place you can just DM me. Happy to answer any questions or help in any way I can there. Fantastic. And it's bullmedia.io. Yep. You could find uh, my website, yeah, bullmedia.io if you want to look online or you can find it through my LinkedIn profile. And they have the coolest emblem logo thing ever. You need to go just check that out because we were all talking about it before the show. So I <laughs> very appreciate that. Ledge. Thanks so much for coming out. Really appreciate the insights. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue-generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations, we handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Thank you.